welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for drawing us together, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Joshua had been the leader of God's people when they crossed into the promised land, but after he died, the nation was not as consistent about following God as they should have been. They began to drift, and during the period known as the time of the judges, Israel entered into an era where every man did what was right in his own eyes. Throughout this time, the same pattern was repeated again and again. The children of Israel would slide into worshipping the gods of the people who were all around them, and so the Lord would then deliver them into the hands of their enemies, causing the Israelites to eventually cry out to the Lord again as being their only hope. In response, God would raise up a deliverer, a judge who would lead them in the ways of the Lord. But their obedience was always short-lived, and as soon as the judge died, they would forget about God and go off to do worse than they'd even done before. This ongoing cycle was repeated until prophet Samuel, who was the last of God's judges. It was then that the people, in a desperate attempt to be like the other nations around them, demanded their own king. The rule of earthly kings, however, led to increasing disunity and division, with the people moving further and further from the God who loved them. As we begin our study today, we're going to pick up the story at what was arguably one of the lowest times in the history of God's people when King Ahab ruled the Northern Territory. He and his wife Jezebel have become almost synonymous with wickedness and treachery. Ahab married the pagan Jezebel for political reasons. She was from Sidon, a neighboring kingdom known for its worship of Baal. And she'd been quick to introduce Baal worship into everyday life for the people of the northern kingdom. Baal was one of the most horrible deities ever devised by human imagination. His name meant master or owner, and he was thought to control all the forces of life and nature. Everything was supposed to be subject to him, and he was a cruel god who demanded all sorts of abominations from his followers. For example, if a person wanted Baal's blessing on their home, they were required to bury their own child alive into the foundation of the house to please this false god. Disgusting. Ahab and Jezebel openly worshipped Baal and actively supported all the prophets who followed him. And because of that, worship of the true and living God was all but eradicated from the everyday life of the people. It was at this dark time that God raised up one of the most important people in the Old Testament, and certainly one of the most memorable, the prophet Elijah. Only Moses has a greater position of honor among the prophets. Let's read from 1 Kings 17 verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, 
whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah is described simply as the Tishbite. In many ways, he was a man from nowhere, a person of no particular significance. I take great encouragement from that because God not only knows how to raise up leaders when they're most needed, very evidently he can use anyone, even a person from nowhere, to do his will as he did with Elijah. Elijah identifies himself as a servant of the true God of Israel and essentially issues a direct challenge to Ahab. My God lives and yours does not. My God is in control. Yours is not. Elijah pulled no punches. He boldly declared himself to be on God's side. There's something else, though, that we should note here. Elijah was not confronting the king in his own name or in his own strength. And Elijah's message wasn't his own either. It was based on a warning God had given years before. The Lord had cautioned his people through Moses in Deuteronomy eleven sixteen to 17 to be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Though Elijah's words were definitely a challenge to Ahab and his false god, they were also a call to Israel to remember their god, to return to him and to worship him alone. Elijah truly longed for Israel to return to God. After Elijah delivered the Lord's message to the king, God directed him to a brook in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan River, where the prophet would be safe from the rage and persecution his pronouncement would certainly provoke. We don't have time to look at it, but you may be familiar with the story. Elijah stayed at the brook for a while, drinking its water and being fed with the food brought to him by ravens. Certainly, God wanted to keep Elijah safe from the repercussions of his original message to Ahab and Jezebel, but he was also wanting to teach Elijah some lessons. There were some things he could only learn in a hidden place, things like dependence and trust, things he would need for the battle he was soon to face. With the ongoing drought, the brook eventually dried up, but Elijah did not move until the word of the Lord came to him once more, this time directing him to Jezebel's home territory of Sidon, where God had prepared a widow to take care of him. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. 
as surely as the lord your god lives she replied i don't have any bread only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug i am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die elijah said to her don't be afraid Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. I'm quite sure that Elijah must have wondered why God would use a widow of all people to provide for him. But I do think that God calls us to live daily in his grace. We, like Elijah, are to trust that he will provide exactly what we need when we need it. We often don't want to be totally dependent on God, but the reality is that we can only learn to trust by having to trust. We can only learn daily dependence by having things come a day at a time. And those lessons need to go deep into our hearts and lives. Elijah spent two years with the widow before the word of the Lord came to him again, telling him to appear before Ahab with another message. God was going to keep his word, but something important had to happen before he could act, ending the drought and sending the rains once again. Baal and his prophets had to be proven totally false and impotent. They could never be allowed to claim credit for what God alone was going to do. When Elijah met with Ahab in 1 Kings 18, he immediately challenged the king and his prophets of Baal and Asherah to meet him on Mount Carmel. People from all over Israel were also to attend. I'm sure Ahab probably expected some sort of ceremony at which Elijah would announce the end of the drought. He couldn't have envisioned what was really going to happen. In 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah began by posing a question to the gathered crowd. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Perhaps the people feared to answer because Ahab was there. Perhaps they honestly didn't believe in their God anymore. Perhaps the years of faithlessness had totally sapped their ability to take a stand. Regardless, their silence was a sad response to the faithfulness God had always shown them. Elijah quickly laid down the rules for a contest that would prove just who was the living God. Ensuring that all the odds were heavily stacked against him from the beginning, Elijah allowed the prophets of Baal every advantage in their choice of bull, declaring that they could slaughter the better animal and arrange it just as they pleased. He would take whatever was left. Then Elijah encouraged the false prophets to call on the name of their God, saying that he would call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he 
is God. Well, the false prophets eagerly agreed. However, no matter what they did, no matter how much they called, no fire fell from heaven to consume their sacrifice. Even when Elijah mocked them, encouraging them to shout louder in case Baal was meditating or sleeping and needed to be awakened, they were helpless. No one answered them and no one paid attention. When the time of the evening sacrifice to God arrived, Elijah finally stepped forward to make his offering. He drenched the sacrifice, the wood and the rocks of his altar, with jar after jar of precious water. And then Elijah began to pray. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God answered Elijah's brief prayer in a very clear and powerful way. Fire fell, consuming not only his sacrifice, but the wood, the water, the stones, and even the dirt under the altar. Nothing was left. There was no question God had answered the prayers of his prophet. As the people turned to the Lord in worship, Elijah had the prophets of Baal executed, and lest you feel sorry for them, remember the many child sacrifices that they encouraged. But even then, Elijah knew the work was not over. He needed to ask God to send the rain. So while Ahab left for Jezreel, Elijah went to pray. He prayed intensely, repeatedly sending his servant to look for clouds on the horizon. Seven times he prayed until at last one small cloud appeared. And when the rains finally came, the downpour was so great that many scholars believe that Ahab's chariot may have become stuck in the thick mud of the valley, allowing Elijah to outrun Ahab's chariot and be the first one back in Jezreel. No one seems to know exactly why Elijah rushed to Jezreel. Perhaps he was anticipating a great revival would break out in the city and that the king and queen would be deposed. Perhaps he wanted to make sure Ahab didn't take the credit for what God had done. Regardless, there he was, the most wanted man in all of Israel, back within the reach of those he had just defeated. This whole event is an incredible glimpse of the grace of God. He answers the prayers of his people and it encourages me to really assess my requests that I make of God. Are they rooted in his word or just in my own desires? And am I willing to persevere in faith, waiting expectantly for him to answer as Elijah did?
First Kings chapter 19 verses 1 through 4 reveals what happened next. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Every battle has its aftermath. And when Elijah receives the death threat from the enraged Jezebel, his heart gives way to fear and he runs for his life. This passage of scripture has always had a powerful effect on me. Elijah had the faith to believe God would keep his word and deal with his people as he said he would. He had the faith to believe God would answer with fire to consume the sacrifice. He had the faith to believe God would send rain despite the initial absence of clouds. But here he ran in fear and was overcome by what can only be described as depression. And I think it's important for us to understand that even those who are mightily used of God can struggle at times with feelings of fear or failure. But it's also important for us to realize that fatigue and physical needs can affect the way we react to stresses and that it's wise to address those needs first. Physical exhaustion certainly played a part in Elijah's response. He was in desperate need of sleep, food and drink and God miraculously gave him all of those things. At the brook Kerith, God used ravens to bring him food. At Zarephath, God used a poor widow to sustain him for two years. But here in the wilderness, under a dying broom bush, God sent angels to give his prophet exactly what he needed to go on. What a glimpse of God's grace to us, that he knows our human weaknesses and doesn't despise us for them. Instead, he graciously and kindly provides for us. But beyond physical rest and recuperation, Elijah had a spiritual need as well. He needed to hear from God about the disappointment he was bearing. Why hadn't Israel turned completely to him? Why were Ahab and Jezebel still in power? So he did what he'd learned to do. He went to a place where he could hear from God. Strengthened by the nourishment God himself provided, he went to Mount Horeb where God had previously appeared to Moses. I love God's tender care of his hurting prophet. At Israel's lowest point, Elijah had spoken for God. And now at Elijah's lowest point, God speaks to him. God begins by asking Elijah a simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Can I point out that God is omniscient? In other words, he knows everything. 
He already knows why Elijah has come, and yet he asks the question to engage Elijah and to get him thinking. For his part, Elijah is very honest with the Lord. He reminds God of his passionate service, emphasizing, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. In many ways, you know, I think that Elijah was looking for success for some indication that his work had not been in vain. In other words, he was disappointed in the results. He expected more. He wanted more. Elijah felt like a failure and Elijah felt totally alone. But neither of those two assessments were actually correct, as we'll soon see. Many prophets of the Old Testament felt just like Elijah. They were ignored, scorned, mocked, even killed for speaking God's word. But the success of the prophet is not ever measured by whether or not the people responded to their message. No, the success of a prophet is only really measured by whether or not they did what God told them to do. The same is true for you and me. So how does God address the fault in Elijah's thinking? Let's pick up the story in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When God speaks to Elijah, his voice is not in the mighty wind, nor in the earthquake, nor in the raging fire, but rather his voice comes to his servant in a gentle whisper proving that God doesn't always work in the way that we would expect. He moves in ways we don't always understand. He moves in ways that we cannot control. Sometimes he works dramatically, breaking stones and sending wind and fire. Sometimes he whispers so that we have to almost strain to hear. But he is always at work, even in what we perceive to be silence. What a glimpse of his grace we can cling to in our own struggles. He is there and he will speak if we can quiet ourselves to hear. God repeats his question to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah repeats his complaint to the Lord word for word. But then the Lord gently begins to refocus Elijah's attention in verse 15 through 18. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Mahola to succeed you as prophet. 
Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. God reminded Elijah that he was not alone. Indeed, he never had been serving alone. God had reserved 7,000 in Israel besides Elijah, who had not followed Baal. Then God turned Elijah's eyes to the future, to the kings waiting to be anointed, and to the young man Elisha who would succeed him as prophet. Far from rebuking Elijah for his self-pity and complaining, God simply turned his attention to the work that was still awaiting him. He was not finished with his prophet after all. I think we can take great encouragement from the glimpses of God's grace that we see in Elijah's life. The first glimpse would be that God hears our prayers and answers them. In James 5.16, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But sometimes we have the mistaken idea that people in the Bible are some sort of super saints, that they have super faith powers that enable them to live unaffected by the same things that we have to face. But Elijah really is our proof that that is not so. And James immediately follows his statement about the effectiveness of prayer, declaring in the following verses that Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was certainly a human being with strengths and weaknesses, but he was also a righteous man, one who had placed his faith and trust in God for the forgiveness of sin. We saw salvation pictured in the life of Rahab last week, you remember. But if you're still wavering, still trying to decide if you can really commit to him, now might be the perfect time to simply admit your need for a savior and place your trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has paid the price for your sin. Just ask God to forgive you and to give you his righteousness. The second glimpse of God's grace in the life of Elijah is how he supplies all our needs. He took care of his prophet at Kerith, at Zarephath, and in the wilderness in different ways, at different times, but he always supplied what was needed. And just as he met with Elijah in his disappointments, he will meet us in ours too. If you find yourself fully committed to serving the Lord and yet, like Elijah, you're feeling a bit burned out and disappointed in your lack of success, if you're wondering why the blessings haven't come yet and you're struggling, first pay attention to any physical needs you may have. Do you need some rest, some food? Are you dehydrated? But then, as Elijah did, intentionally get yourself into a place where you can hear from the Lord. Remember, you can talk honestly with him about your disappointments and your desires to serve him. So pray, pray honestly, 
pray intently, but don't forget to also be quiet and listen for his voice, for he will speak. Then look ahead with hope to the future and follow God all the more closely. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.